The following is a paid commercial program, and the views expressed are those of the speaker and do not reflect the views or opinions of iHeartRadio, its staff, or management. Welcome to Business Sense Radio, a weekly program featuring interesting topics and fascinating guests brought to you by your host, Edward King. Each week, Business Sense Radio tackles issues and concerns of people across all spectrums. And now with this week's program, here's your host, Edward King. Thank you very much, Mark. Um, Here we are in the middle of December, and it's just like towards almost completing 2023. And I have to tell you, I'm surprised how quickly it went. And I'm um, looking forward to 2023. So let's kind of get into these topics today. It's going to be kind of buffet style. So hang in there because we've got a lot of different things that we're going to talk about, primarily in the area of business, but also a lot of it can be applied to our own personal lives. So right now, if we're all listening to mainstream news media, you might think that the sky is falling and we are about to enter in the worst recession in decades. At least that's what we're being told. We hear that the economy is failing and major companies are running for the hills. Places like Amazon and Facebook, Twitter, Microsoft, Cisco, Ford, DoorDash, and there are others who are setting up for layoffs. Now, If we look at the actual businesses, like here's an example, CNN has had layoffs. Well, as we all can see, quite obviously, over the last number of years, you know, these layoffs that they're finally getting around to is pretty much self-inflicted, and it doesn't have anything to do with the economy. It's the same thing for Facebook or Metaverse or Meta, whatever you'd like to call them, but Zuckerberg's vision of the world is wrong. And so now he's paying for the price. Another one, Twitter. Twitter is doing a house cleaning. So they're having a lot of layoffs. And basically what happened with Twitter prior to the new ownership is they fell under the go woke, go broke, unfortunate situation. And the same thing can be said about Disney. Now, Disney has had a recent change in their CEO to kind of salvage the ship. Um, But we'll see if they actually do turn it around because they can't continue to be this wokeism and think that people aren't going to notice. Another company that's got 10,000 layoffs, which is Amazon, you know, what happened with Amazon is they, you know, dialed up for the COVID when we all ended up being locked in our homes, kind of like China What happened was we started shopping from home, and these lockdowns lasted for a lot longer than any of us expected. But these lockdowns and the changes for Amazon's business model was not part of the permanent change in the economy, so it's just going through a reset. And also don't forget that the 10,000 employees that they let go is basically just 1% of their overall employee population. So as we keep hearing these numbers like 11,000 layoff, 10,000 layoff, try to remember that this only represents maybe one or three or five or maybe up to 10% of the staffing, and it's not the entire company. And frankly, 
a company that resets itself as, and gets aligned to its current economy is a good thing for the business. It's a good thing for all those employees that are still there. And it's a good thing for our economy. <clears throat> so basically what I have to say there is don't let the news run your company, but don't let the news run your personal life. They they have alternative methods and mode in the reason why they're always talking about the sky is falling because they're trying to keep your attention. They're trying to sell advertising space. It's all about the next great disaster. On another hand, as we know Warren Buffett, he says, investing in yourself is the best thing that you can do. Anything that improves your talents, invest in yourself. And the benefit there is nobody can take away what you've got in yourself, and everybody has the potential that they haven't used yet. Another thing for the people that are you know, past 60 or even into retirement, when I was young and went to work for IBM, one of the things that I noticed is that the men and women that would retire at 30 so oftentimes would pass away, die, <clears throat> after a year or two because they weren't able to take the transition from working, working, working to just sitting on the couch. So in essence, what I would encourage even the elderly, even the 60-plus group, is spend time to learn new things. Spend time on you know, new activities or new hobbies. Because I encourage everybody to invest in yourself. For companies, I definitely know that investing in your staff, staff is the best way to see your staff loyalty, see your staff retention, and your staff to you know, feel like they are a part of a bigger thing. So if I was to recap and think about business, here we are, we're in December. And December is a really good time to look back and recap how things were in 2022. You know, try to do an honest review. Review your marketing, review your staffing, review your employee training, your product and your service, what improvements you made over the year and what lessons that you could learn. And get prepared for 2023 and build your company. Build up your people. Always get the right people on the bus. Get those positive juices flowing and build a team with focus and aspiration. Because 2023 is right around the corner. It's going to be two weeks from now. And the revenue stream and the fiscal year, the year-to-date numbers are at zero as of January 1 for most businesses. And the reality is, I only remind you, is nothing to fear but fear itself. Now, another great topic <clears throat> is that there are a million ways to kill the soul of a company. And many of them are literally hard to notice individually or on their own because they're basically small things like the way you treat the people who work for you or the way you allocate resources, the way you've organized your teams, and more so how you've treated your customers. And sometimes you don't even realize that you are not treating them well and that you are overlooking the needs of your people and that you're misapplying your resources and your teams aren't organized properly. Now, they might be small problems in tiny little areas, but they build up 
and this is the area that you're going to lose the soul of your company. Another part of it is you've lost your original passion. Many entrepreneurs or business people who have taken over a company and been there for five years or seven years or longer, you know, they, they're operating on in a neutral position and they're not operating from the passions that got them started. So the reality is that as a leader, your primary job is to jealously guard the soul of your company. And I'll say it again, the main job of any leader is to protect the soul of the company. And if that was functioning properly, Disney wouldn't have been in the disaster that they're in. So you might ask yourself, what is the soul of your company? Well, the soul of your company is what we would call, and I call, your culture, your corporate culture. And protecting the culture and the values and the people who make your company what it is that is what it is that you need to protect. It's what makes your company special. And you must be your first priority protecting the culture. Otherwise, nothing else that you do will matter. You know, as a leader, again, your primary job is to jealously guard the soul of your company. And this is your culture. Now, everybody runs business. Cash is king, I know. But employees and customers are the key. Without those people, both as a customer and without your employees, how would you operate? And as you undercut those two major important groups, it is going to be a very short future for your company. You know, I've talked in the past, we've had shows about having the right people on the bus and having the right people in the right seat. And that all is true. And understanding who your customer is and who could be a customer are also critical. What problems are you solving with your products and services? This is what keeps you in business. And also how you deliver your products and services. All of those things are important. But the one area that I want people to think about is the area of creativity. Because creativity at the heart of your company is what's going to dip, make a difference doesn't matter what your company does or what your position with the company is. We all thrive on creativity. And unfortunately, our spirits and our thoughts and our hearts and our passions die in the woes of sameness. So creative doing versus creative thinking is another part of creativity. And as I'll say it again, creative thinking is very valuable, but it's the creative doing that actually pushes the needle. So do protect the soul of your company. Do protect your culture. And we're going to talk about culture more in the future. But right now, we're going to move on to another subject. So as I was speaking earlier about <clears throat> mainstream media threatening and fear-mongering about the massive recession that we're going to experience, I've recently had a meeting with... Um, a large, broad group of CEOs, and I literally asked all of them in the meeting, I said, what is, what is your perception of where things are going? And they're coming from different industries, so it's not just a single, you know, picture in the big, broad scheme of things, but in every one of them, they felt that there wasn't going to be a recession, that things are different, yes, but the reality is that there is still low unemployment. There is still a great deal of job openings. 
which never is the same if you have a recession. When you have a recession, you have high unemployment, you have very few jobs available. Now, we have some bubbles. <laughs> Certainly, we experienced an impact on the uh, price and availability of uh, oil products, gas, diesel, heating oil, and so forth, natural gas. And, and that was self-inflicted by our government. And hopefully, we can you know, navigate our way around that, which we are doing that. If you notice, the price of oil right now is, has been dropping consistently. It's still quite a bit, a couple dollars more than what we used to pay uh, two years ago, three years ago. Now, there are areas in Europe that are suffering much more with the availability of heating oil and the availability of gas and diesel and natural gas. But again, that is, you know, that situation in Russia and Ukraine that is also the World Economic Forum, who is like, as the example, they're closing 3,000 farms in, in um, Normandy or no, in, in, what country is that in? Dutch, whatever that is. And, you know, Holland? that is all, what? Would that be uh, Holland or the Netherlands? Yeah, the Netherlands. Thank okay. you very much. And what's interesting about the Netherlands is it's the breadbasket of Europe. Much to our surprise, when I started doing research, I couldn't believe how productive that particular small country is and how it is its number one export. It's the European countries around it rely on that food source and the World Economic Forum by withholding the nitrogens for fertilizer is killing all those businesses. And the government is going in there and buying the properties and turning them into you know, non-functioning land. Not too different than what Bill Gates is doing here in the United States, becoming the largest landowner of farm uh, land. So we have to watch for that ourselves. But where I'm going with this is <clears throat> you still have control over your own finances, whether you're a small business, medium, large business, or it's just your family budget. So how does a small business survive this um, impact that we're going to be experiencing with just the ups and downs in 2023. Well, the first thing that you should do is recognize what your culture is and not forget it. Because what the culture does is it sets you apart from any other business that is in your same marketplace. It also attracts new employees. It keeps and retains your employees. It makes your salespeople have the same voice. They, they know what the story is of the company. The clients, the customers that you sell your products or your services to feel and understand what, what they're buying from. Because you can buy products from pretty much any company. It's the people that you like doing business with is the one that you're going to continue to do business with. Now, in terms of prioritizing the finances, whether it's our personal finances or a small or medium business, you know, focus on cash flow because cash is king. You can't do anything. You can't pivot. You can't navigate the challenges that we might face. To do that, you're going to want to evaluate your expenses. 
Obviously, we talk many times about making a budget, which helps you guide your spending. You should be doing that at home. You should be doing that in your business. And watch your receivables. You know, do the collections. Keep those on time. Because if you are able to do those two things, minimizing unnecessary money that you're putting out and making sure that your revenue is coming through and not being tied up in receivables, this will help you in your cash flow. You're going to need to establish emergency funds. One way to do that is to get a line of credit that you have accessible, not a line of credit that you've used. So increase your sales you know, there are a reality that we can increase sales even in stagnant times. Now, you can do that by offering new products. You can recast what the products do or recast how people understand what your products are. And when you're doing that, it is actually going to be increasing your revenue. If you're controlling your expenses, as much of overhead and fixed expenses as you can, managing your purchasing process so that you don't end up with too much inventory or inventory not arriving in time for you to make your sales, those are the kind of things that you want to keep control. Another thing is marketing. So often over my 47 years in business, the, the areas that always surprised me when a business started cutting back on expenses was they would cut down on their salespeople, they would cut down on their marketing people, and they would cut down on their accounting people, thinking that they weren't on the front line producing. Now, that is probably the silliest thing. Now, we all have fat in a company. So I understand like with the Amazons and so forth and the Facebooks and the Twitters and others, you know, that there's a point where you really need to look at and trim out what they call deadwood. Now, it's, it's a terrible thing to call people deadwood. But if the, if the person is just not motivated, not doing 40 hours or producing the things that they're responsible for producing, of course, you're going to have to turn them over. But the areas that you don't want to reduce is, as an example, marketing. Now, you can tie your marketing to revenue so that you're not, your percentage of marketing dollars is not getting out of hand. But marketing is different than advertising and branding because what you've got is you've got branding and you have marketing and the payback the return on your investment for marketing and branding is is further down the road so if you're establishing branding it might take a year or two or half a year for you to get the customer base or the general public to understand who it is you are. If you want to look at some major success stories, Apple computers and their branding, it took years for them to really concrete firm up who they were and why people are now attracted to Apple products, even consistently year after year, because it's the branding that people are connected to. Marketing establishes the brand. Advertising is something that you do that has a much closer to sales date time frame. 
So advertising, you know, is is like um, come in for our sales and things like that. That's advertising. And obviously you can't reduce advertising, but you can certainly refine where you advertise. Now, a lot of people have gotten into the social media um, methods of advertising and marketing and branding. And the challenge on that is to recognize that when you push things out through social media, yes, you have a potential broad audience, but the click rates and the views and the captures are percentage is very, very low. But it, it, right now, it is pretty much the only mechanism that we've got out there because you know you can't go into newspapers. There are no more yellow pages. And unless you have direct email campaigns, direct mail campaigns, You know, it's hard to get directly in front of people's eyes. So you need to track your marketing for the success. And if it's not successful, give it two, three months, find another vehicle to do that. The best and most productive way for you to increase sales is to invest in the relationships you have with your customers. The possible idea that you might not have explored is to create a customer loyalty program. And definitely in the area of customers, focus on customer service. Like I said earlier, people love to do business or will do business with people that they like and the feelings that the customer has when they're buying your product or getting customer support after you buy the product. All of that is critical. And, you know, we just can't sit back and just think, build it and they will come because that's, that's not a real world. So nurture your customers. Another thing is, which is a critical component of the success of your business is your employees and recognize that your employees are your most important asset. You want to prioritize employee retention, and you can do that with career skills training. It's not all about money. People really want to be recognized. They want to be appreciated. They want to feel part of a team. They want to feel heard. Listening to what your employees have to say and having an opportunity to talk to their bosses and other people within the organization is critical for you to hold on to your employees. But you also want to create career pathways for your employees. Stagnation doesn't really inspire anybody. And there are a few people that want to be a receptionist and don't want to take on any more responsibilities and tasks because they feel like they probably have enough on their plate from working at home or having their home and family and other personal issues that are going on. So you don't expect 100% from everybody or the same solution for every employee. But recognizing, listening, hearing, and understanding what their needs are is very important. In another challenging time, what we want to do is we want to diversify our products and services. So focus on innovation, broaden your markets, come up with new products, come up with new services, and literally think outside the box. One source of information and feedback is your customers. So send out these email, your, your monthly newsletter, and ask them, what kind of products would you like? What kind of changes to our products would you like? Is there any new services that we can provide for you? And see if and get your, your feedback from your customers. And when your customers are in your store or buying online, 
you know, if they have some needs, questions, or ideas, pay attention to them. Because if you have one person asking for it, how do you know there's not 50 or 100 other people that are thinking the same thing but are not voicing their opinions? Another big area, and we're going to talk more about this later in the program, is upgrading your technology. So if you're living in a business where you are using, I don't know, QuickBooks or some other accounting system, and that is your sole software, and you're using Excel, which is great, and you're using well, I don't know, other things, but you're not using some of the newer, relatively new technologies that could help your business because you're thinking, well, we're too small. So an example is CRM, which is customer resource management. Another one is the thought of business intelligence software. <clears throat> because that stuff is not just for big business. The benefit is that every business in today's world typically has a mountain of data that they've accumulated and collected over time, whether it's in a database or in Excel spreadsheets or QuickBooks or whatever. There is software out there that can assimilate the data and regurgitate it with information that provides what we call dashboards or reports or graphs that can give you insight into the areas that you're successful. It's often said that 80% of the business comes from 20% of your products. It's pretty much true in most businesses. So what you want to do there is you want to look at that 20% product and see what you can do to innovate that product, to capture the re more repeat business, to find new customers with that product that's succeeding. So don't spend all your marketing on this obscures little product off to the side that has had very little sales over the years because no matter how much marketing you pour into that it's probably not going to add a great deal in terms of the overall sales so spend your money on the areas that you get your best return now we're going to talk later on about some of where software and computer systems that are provided in the bigger businesses and if you can apply them to our medium and small businesses. My last little point about being prepared for 2023 is plan ahead. You know, because I believe this, you shouldn't be loyal to your past, but you should be loyal to your future. What we've got going on in 2023 is a great opportunity. It is an opportunity for us to grow. It's an opportunity for us to build our culture. It's an opportunity for us to innovate and be creative. And you can be creative in any kind of business that you're in, whether you're a McDonald's or whether you're a software company, IT, manufacturing, food service, all of those areas, creativity makes it more delightful to work. So right now, what we need to do is take a quick break for our sponsor. You're listening to Business Sense Radio, and we'll be right back. 
You want your property to be protected from break-ins, vandalism, and loitering. Yet guards and patrol services are expensive. ATG Protect by Alvarez Technology Group is the perfect affordable solution. ATG Protect is a video surveillance solution with cameras powered by artificial intelligence and backed by live guards who can intervene and scare off unwanted intruders and even call first responders when needed. ATG Protect gives you peace of mind and keeps you safe, secure, and successful. Contact Alvarez Technology Group at 831-753-7677 or on the web at alvareztg.com. Business owners, do you want to build a successful business? Invest in your most valuable asset, your staff. Alliance Career Training Solutions solve your staff training needs. Employees need to be successful for you to be successful. At Alliance Career Training, we provide professional, hands-on training classes, including Excel, Word, Business Writing, Outlook, and Sexual Harassment as required by law. Ask about our custom classes for your team. Call 755-8200 or visit us at AllianceTrains.com. No, thank you very much. We're back with Business Sense Radio. And we, we basically are here to help people see the world differently and talk about issues that are um, coming across everybody's thought process. We've had some really great guests. We'll continue to have more great guests in the coming um, shows. And so I'd love for you to stick around. Now, let's get back to our subject today. So a popular solution for businesses that's being talked about a lot these days is what's called ERP. It's an acronym for Enterprise Resource Planning. Now, the word enterprise indicates that it's for the entire company. So it's not like Customer Relations Management, CRM. It's not like you know, economic order points for inventory management. What it really is doing in this direction is it's encompassing those amongst other things and pulling it all together so that we have a single system that provides consistent reporting in real time completely across the the entire organization. So all departments are participating, whether they're HR receiving department or whether manufacturing or R&D or accounting or upper management or middle management. Everybody has provided data and information in real time, as I had mentioned, because this single source of information is timely. It is valuable. It keeps everybody at clearly up to date and understanding where things are going. Because basically what this does is it's software that organizes and organizations use to manage their day-to-day business, their activities, as I mentioned, things like accounting or procurement, which is buying inventory, project management, which is adding new products. Project management could be building a new uh, factory. Risk management and compliance, that's in the HR area. Supply chain operations, you can include budgeting and forecasting and sales and creating reports with details of the organization's financial results, sales, cost, and so forth. Now, ERPs, it's kind of a scary thing. When I've been looking at it for different companies, There's challenges associated with it. So as much as the consultants and the sales organizations, whether they're NetSuite, which is not doing very well, Salesforce, whether it's Microsoft and other providers of these ERP systems, it's a challenge. And we're going to talk about those challenges in a little bit. 
You know, you have core ERP products, like I mentioned, with um, Microsoft and others, and they can be extended with what we call third-party applications, which basically allows the ERP system to be customized to be very specific to your particular industry, your particular company. It, it helps in the life cycle management of your product or procurement systems, um, data management, data mining, and a whole kinds of other functions. And it allows you to take an ERP system that is in and of itself pretty thorough, but maybe you're in the artichoke industry or maybe you own multiple um, McDonald's uh, restaurants or maybe you're in manufacturing, whether it's concrete tile plants, paper mills or you're manufacturing food products. Now, the history of the ERP system is originally it was introduced around 1990. And at that time, it was mainly used for manufacturing companies, large companies, the Fords of the world. And it basically grew out of what's called MRP, which is Material Requirements Planning Programs that have been around for a number of years. Now, an enterprise resource planning system which is what this is, primarily has these four different characteristics. One is it's modular. So modular means that depending on the needs of the company, you can bring in these sections and it's not one shape for all businesses. So number of service companies, whether law firms or other service companies, multi-regional CPA firms, you don't have inventory typically. And that's just one example. So they're modular by design. They're also very, very flexible. And in terms of flexible, that means that it's very creative how you can create reporting, you can connect all of the dots, you can incorporate all the people that it would be and can be involved. So it's flexible in that particular area. And you have the ability to limit data that is fed to departments or individuals that's precisely only in the area that they need to know. So in essence, your receiving department isn't going to have access to your financial statements, but your accounting and your upper executives will. It's all based on an open and centralized database. And this database is the accumulator of data. And it's quite extensive in terms of what data it has and how detailed it is with that particular data. <clears throat> in addition to that, because it's a database, what happens is the information is fed to it from all of the different sources, whether it's product showing up on your receiving dock or whether it's product growing in the fields or whether it is you know, HR standards that you have to live up to or whether it's the accounting processes that are going on, you know, KPIs, <clears throat> all part of that, it comes from this one database. And because it's acquiring and accumulating the database as it happens in real time, it has the ability to transfer that data quickly and in real time to those that need to know it. So as an example, what you've got is if you are having a sales re request or sales orders coming in, you're able to, in real time, connect availability of product or inventory, or if it's services, the availability of 
staffing to deliver that service. And you'll be able to do forecasts in real time. I remember back in the day when I worked for some of the major companies, you know, sales forecasts were always very important. And because of the limitations of the accounting technology and the computer technology of those days, you know, it would be kind of a once in the once a year massive sales projection and forecast that would be worked up. It'd probably take a month or so of many people's time to create. And then what we would do is we would live by that for the next 12 months of the new year, comparing actual against projected. And we could make some revisions in the paper side of it as things get better or things get more challenging. But with the data being in real time, it's just like when they started doing the just-in-time inventory system. We can now predict and project and forecast what kind of sales we're going to have this week, next week, next month, and get a long-term picture. But more importantly, know what we should be doing today to prepare for next week's and next month's sales. So real-time has made a huge difference. And what's provided the ability for these ERP systems to actually function is the improvement in technology. I remember when I worked for McCormick many years ago, no one, the only group that had computers was the MIS, Management Information Service Department. And they had the mainframe computers, they had the key entry terminals. In, in essence, each department, like the accounting or the payroll or manufacturing, they would deliver a stack of paper and they would key enter it in. And then they would, the MIS would, and their mainframe computers would regurgitate the information, spit out reports. And the next day, the reports would go back out to the engineers or go back to the manufacturing line and so forth. Well, as I was there, we started shifting over to putting what's called the IBM AT. Yeah, the AT, which was the fastest, best PC desktop that was available. And we started putting those on people's desks and in essence, disseminate the ability to input and output data and information. Well, nowadays, what we have is we have taken that to the nth degree and everybody has technology on their phone with their smartphones that is smarter than the original shuttle spaceships that they were sending up. And we have computers everywhere. We have networks, wireless, wireless, wired, and so forth. So connectivity is just ramped up considerably. And then in addition to that, we have what we call the cloud. So now all of a sudden what we've got is we have the technology that supports the ability to create disseminated input and output systems. And that's what this ERP system takes advantage of. So it, as I said, it operates in real time, which is a huge game changer. It is a database supported centrally provided data, but it's not so centralized that if that one system shuts down, everything is dead. Now there are three different models or three different ways that ERPs, I'll, I'll call it the backbone of it is. So one of them is what we call on-premise software. Now on-premise software is the most secure obviously, because it's not sitting up in the clouds, not residing on uh, computers somewhere off-site. So that it, 
but depending on the business and the extent of where these people are, that might not be working for you. It's just like if people have known about QuickBooks, which was a desktop model, or you could have a server side with providing data to multiple users for QuickBooks. QuickBooks started shifting a number of years ago to QuickBooks Online. Now, the benefit about QuickBooks Online is it's not reliant on a single source of failure. It is available to people, whether they're through their browser or an app that sits on their desktop. And they can get to the information that is on the internet, out there in the cloud, on some server farm. But it also has connectivity to your banks and your credit cards so that you can automate it, download an input of data, which through APIs provides you the data that you need without having to do data entry. So as far back as when I was working for McCormick, we had, I guess, about a thousand staff that were relegated and related to the accounting function. Now, as a multinational company, obviously, it was quite large. We had plants in many parts of the United States and other places. So you can understand why there was so many in the accounting area, but that's probably down to less than a third the size because technology has automated so many of the steps. And this is where the ERP systems come in. So they take the best of managing material or accounting data or, you know, transactions that are occurring at your different uh, points, like the receiving or the shipping or whether it's sales orders or purchase orders. All of that is now being incorporated in real time, and it's providing a way for you to run your business and automate many, many portions of it. So as I said, where does the data reside? Well, it could be on-premise. It could be cloud-based, or it could be a hybrid of those two things. And again, it's collecting data from all parts of your business. So whether you have a manufacturing plant in Yuma and manufacturing plant in Salinas, it's going to take care of that. Whether you've got employees and plants in Connecticut or Alabama or Washington and so on and so forth, all of them are connected, and that would be connected through the cloud. Things are much better in terms of the area of security. The uh, benefit of it is, it, as I was mentioning with my McCormick story, it's kind of like dismantling the silos that we experienced. The MIS group was a, a silo of control, and they didn't want to release and let go of that for job security. Well, right now, that would not survive. There's too much competition out there. There's data moves too quickly. Information needs to be in real time. And we can't wait for a report to come back on a piece of paper that we have to read. So it's going to ensure a great deal more information. Now, one of the things that I'd mentioned originally ERPs came in for the manufacturing sector. So obviously they had hundreds and maybe million dollars to spend on that. Where is that going to be for medium and small businesses? Well, what's happened with the rapid growth in this technology is that ERP systems have been reduced in prices. They have been a new footprint capable of handling and supporting smaller and medium businesses. They have the ability to not cost a great deal 
as long as you don't get fallen down the rat hole of too much customization, because you don't want to be reliant on a a developer or you know a consultant for ERP, because then you've got a single point of failure. And a lot of these ERP systems are, um, you know, very reliable. Now, I have had and seen problems with the NetSuite, so you might want to steer clear of that one. But Microsoft has done a very good job. Now, I know it's hard for me to say that, but they have done a very good job, and there's others that are doing very well out there. And you might find them that are more in your niche of business. So does everybody need an ERP system? Well, there are different forms of ERP. And you can, on your own, with things like databases, access, Power BI, Power Pivot, Pivot Tables, there, there's lots of ways that you can develop something within the size of your organization. So... Is it possible for a company that sells $600,000 a year to use an ERP system? Yes, I would say so. Not only would I say so, but I would say that it would greatly benefit your business. Now, two ways that you can kind of make stepping step stones into it is I would highly suggest going with an online accounting system that provides a little more data than just your payment, pay your bills and ship out invoices on sales. Another possibility is CRMs are, are very beneficial customer relations management tools, as long as you don't spend a great deal of money on it. Another area that I believe every business, especially the small businesses, should be focusing on is KPIs. And what those are is they're points of information that you need to track. I remember a, a friend of mine owned a restaurant uh, for many years. And one of the things that he and his wife would do is every morning when they would come in early to the restaurant, the first thing they would look at is they would look at the garbage cans to see how much food is being thrown away because it told them a very important item about the success of the menu or how quality the cooking and the taste was. And it seems silly, but the reality is that that was a KPI for them. And you know your business very well. So I know I've talked about Alliance, and they do provide training in the area of Power BI and so on and so forth. But, you know, it's not your only avenue. There are, there are systems out there. Again, I hate to poo-poo NetSuite, but NetSuite, the, the company is um, it's kind of too big. And, you know, procedures and processes that they have internally, they're trying to take what they did well for very, very large companies and duplicate that cookie cutter that and apply that to small businesses. And small businesses can't afford the time and effort and investment in all the quasi details that NetSuite is pushing on the small businesses. They really need to take a strong look at what they're doing and simplify what they're doing and, and put together just the key components and make it easy because small businesses don't have 50, 20 extra employees to throw in on a project for six months to get a CRM 
system going. Another benefit of an ERP system is literally once it's up and running, it's easy to manage. You can standardize reporting and all of that's really literally going to reduce costs. One of the numbers that I fell across was that manufacturing companies that are utilizing ERP systems were able to reduce their inventory levels by 22% because of the efficiencies of of real-time and real recognition of what sales were coming and what inventory sources were, and they were able to put together quite a bit. And in in addition to the inventory levels, they were able to reduce their expenses 20% of cost, and that's a very significant dollar amount. So I would seriously consider that you should think about an ERP system, at least get educated about it and see how it could be applied. But right now we're going to need to take a quick break for our sponsors. You're listening to Business Sense Radio and we'll be right back. You want your property to be protected from break-ins, vandalism, and loitering, yet guards and patrol services are expensive. ATG Protect by Alvarez Technology Group is the perfect affordable solution. ATG Protect is a video surveillance solution with cameras powered by artificial intelligence and backed by live guards who can intervene and scare off unwanted intruders and even call first responders when needed. ATG Protect gives you peace of mind and keeps you safe, secure, and successful. Contact Alvarez Technology Group at 831-753-7677 or on the web at alvareztg.com. Business owners, do you want to build a successful business? Invest in your most valuable asset, your staff. Alliance Career Training Solutions solve your staff training needs. Employees need to be successful for you to be successful. At Alliance Career Training, we provide professional, hands-on training classes, including Excel, Word, business writing, Outlook, and sexual harassment as required by law. Ask about our custom classes for your team. Call 755-8200 or visit us at alliancetrains.com. Now, this might be a complete different direction for our show, but just hear me out. So years ago, I heard about this, the five stages of grief. Now, it was first described in 1969 in the book called On Death and Dying, and it was by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And it literally was based on her experiences in dealing with the terminally ill, both the families and the individual going through that. And it basically is this five steps or the list of emotional and psychological responses that people often experience when faced with life-saving, life-changing illnesses. The first one is denial. The second one is anger. Then there's bargaining. Oh, God, if you heal me on this, I'll be good for the rest of my life. There's depression. And then finally, acceptance seems to be the last one. And it's basically a, a linear fashion of coping with the traumatic news of what you're facing. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to die. It doesn't mean that this is terminal to a particular end. It's just when people find that they are being challenged by a health issue that is significant, those are the steps that we have seen most people go through. And if I was talking linear, that would say that they start with denial, anger, then bargaining and depression, acceptance. So they move through stages one step at a time. But, you know, people move through these stages in their own unique ways. It could be a lot faster. Uh, They might just slide right through one of them. So it's not like it was meant to be linear, and it's not meant that it's applied to all people because individuals experience things differently. I personally experienced this firsthand 
while my then wife went through these stages after being diagnosed with terminal cancer and even though she was given three months to live, she made it almost five years. And a lot of it had to do with mindset. And I was very grateful that our oncologist gave me the heads up to be ready to experience and to face and deal with so that I didn't feel like this has only happened to me. And it was very helpful to learn this from the start. And it was obviously tough times, especially on the patient, on my wife, to, to go through all of this. But you know, there's help out there and there is support mechanisms out there, but to be forewarned is to really help you get through it. Now, the reason why I brought it up on our Business Sense radio show is that what's interesting is that these same five stages are lived through oftentimes when a business gets what? A customer complaint. Employees or the owners react and tend to go through many of these same steps. So they oftentimes, if you're getting a customer complaint, you push it off, you deny it, you blame it on the customer. They don't understand, they're, they're stupid, they're whatever. But the point that I was getting at is, let's look at these four steps. So you deny it or you get angry, maybe the company gets depressed or the individual gets depressed. But until you get to acceptance about what the customer complaint is, you'll never be able to actually, in a proactive, positive mindset, actually deal with the complaint. And where this goes to is a key in business is to see that customer complaints are really an opportunity. And it's an opportunity to do better because in essence, what happens is your business failed to provide a positive customer experience. And finally, unfortunately, the customer complained. So there's lots of things that's going on beyond that because here's the point. The reality is only one in 25 customers actually complain to you directly. So if you hear one and you have to analyze it a little bit to make sure that it wasn't just kind of a one-up situation that was very unique and odd, it, what it's saying is that here's some information that you should know so that you can analyze and think about what you're doing that is causing these kind of problems. So it really is a silver lining. And there are many steps that you're going to do and want to get through, but the reality is very simple. Don't take customer complaints and just blow them off. Actually, listen to your customer, find out what it is that they are complaining about. After you listen, inform your team, get everybody to know about it. Do not forget to apologize to your customer. Find a solution. Keep track of your feedback. Follow up. And when you follow up, exceed expectations. All of those things are critical for you to hold on to that customer. And they could very well turn into a loyal customer because they feel your apology. They understand human nature. So I don't know, Mark, I don't know if you have anything to add, but we've run out of time and I've certainly enjoyed sharing with you and I look forward to hearing back from you. Next week, we'll have another wonderful guest and that week will be the week of Christmas. So we look forward to 2023. Stay with us for another week. All right. Thank you so much, Edward King. And you've been listening to Business Sense Radio with your host, Edward King. You can contact Edward King through the website, businesssenseradio.com. Sense is C-E-N-T-S, businesssenseradio.com. And be sure to join us again next week at the same time on this very station for another edition of Business Sense Radio. 
preceding was a paid commercial program, and the views expressed are those of the speaker and do not reflect the views or opinions of iHeartRadio, its staff, or management.